Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, Today we are continuing a series that we started last week called Open Handed, and the series is all about how we should live generously in our lives. And last week we talked about our heart, that generosity is related to our heart, that if our hearts are are not right, then we'll never be generous. And uh, we really just talked about how generosity impacts every area of our lives. And a lot of the themes we're looking at and the ideas we're looking at come from a book uh, that, that uh, I would recommend to you. I believe it's available out at our info center in the lobby. It's called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. He pastors a wonderful church uh, called Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. And we get some of, uh, some of our principles we base on some of the things they do. And one of the things we talk about here that, that, uh, that they talk about there a lot is that we never give to get. We don't give to God saying, okay, I'm putting something in the offering box. Now, God, you owe me. That's not how this works. If I give a dollar, he's going to give me $10. That's not how it works. Uh, and our, if we give that way, our heart is wrong. So God can't bless that. So what we do instead is we say, um, God, I want to give out of joy. I want to give because you've given me so much. And we know that you bless and that you help. And it might not be a financial blessing, but it's going to be a relational blessing. It's going to be an opportunity. It might be something that you're going to open up. And even if you don't, I'm still going to give because you are worth it. And, and that's really the idea behind it. And so if you're interested in picking up that book, it's out in the lobby. Uh, and the series kind of, we, we've taken its title from Deuteronomy chapter 15. God is speaking to the nation of Israel through Moses. And he says this, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So it says, your heart shouldn't be hard and your hand shouldn't be closed. And what we see is there's a connection between our hand and our heart. That if our hand is closed, then our heart is going to be hardened. If our heart is softened, then our hand will be open. So there's these two things are linked. And I will tell you, I've seen this over and over and over and over and in church. And so some of you are walking in here and you're like, here we go. They're going to ask me for my money and they're out to get me. No, I want you to know something. I'm not here to get your money. God is out to get your heart. And when he wants your heart, he wants so much more than your money. He wants everything. He doesn't just want your wallet. He wants your whole life. And to get your whole life, he has to go through your wallet sometimes. And so what I want you to hear today is it's not about you giving more money. It's about God capturing your heart. Um, and what we see here is that when we live with an open hand, our heart is softened and we're able to walk in the purposes and plans that God's got for us, no matter what it may be. Um, but I'm telling you this, giving is a heart issue. So this is why discipleship and generosity are so linked. A few years ago, we, we talked about generosity with our church. And, and what I saw in, in the research that we did in our church is 40% of our church gave less than a thousand, or gave nothing at all, I'm sorry. 40% of our church gave zero dollars to the church. And if you are here and you give zero dollars to the church, there's no condemnation. I'm not upset with you, I'm not angry at you. But what I realized is that is an indictment on me as the pastor, because discipleship and stewardship are related. Discipleship and generosity are related. We can't say we want to be like Jesus if we refuse to be generous in our living. And so what I realized is I've failed to disciple this church well and to raise up disciples because if you don't understand that stewardship and generosity are a part of discipleship, then we failed. And so we just decided, hey, we want to we help our people. We want to help them because 
When we understand what generosity really is, that it's not just about our dollars, it's about every area of our lives, our marriage will get better. There are some of you here today, you're sitting in here and you think the problem in your marriage is your spouse. And I'm telling you, maybe the problem is your selfish heart. And selfishness and generosity are related. We will drop money in the offering box, but we won't forgive, forgive our spouse for something they said this morning. And if we can learn to be generous in every area of our lives, God will be glorified. We're going to have healthy marriages. We're going to have healthier relationships. Your work is going to be better. Your, your future is going to be brighter because you understand what it means to live open-handedly. You understand what it means to live generously. And that's really what this series is about. Uh, today, I want to look at a passage of Scripture. It's in John chapter 12. And this passage is dealing with Jesus. It's, um, it's literally six days before the Passover supper, the, the last supper that he has with his disciples. And so we're get, coming down the home stretch of Jesus' life. And this is what it says in John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha was served, or Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So let me set the scene for you. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. He showed up. Jesus was friends with Lazarus and his family, but he showed up on the fourth day after Lazarus died. He had already been buried, um, and he was in the tomb. And he literally, he said, roll away the tomb. And his sister, Lazarus' sister, said, no, 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 Lord. And the King James, it says, he stinketh. And uh, I've quoted that a few times when people, I used to do kids, you know, like youth ministry, and there'd be some junior hires that just have a, a pungent smell about them, you know what I'm talking about? Like some, they just get an odor, and it's like, oh, he stinketh, like, uh, you know, I'm quoting scripture over, over kids. Anyway, she said, he stinketh, so don't, don't roll away the tomb, it's okay, it's too late is what she's saying. And so they roll away the tomb, he calls him forth, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Now, how many of you know, the older I, you get, the more you realize how good it is to wake up alive, right? You wake up and you're like, hey, I'm not dead. It's a good day, right? Yeah, I'm sore and I'm hurting and I didn't know I had pains in different areas of my body, but man, I'm upright, I'm alive, that's a good day. And, and what we see here is this family was celebrating the fact that Jesus had raised their brother, raised their friend, raised him from the dead. And so they know preachers, and if preachers like anything, it's good food. And so they said, Jesus, we want to honor you, so why don't you come to our house? We're going to give you some food. And if I know Jesus, I know he probably asked them, would you have some Meadows ice cream there, some peanut butter oil swirl? That'd be delightful. Because again, if you want to honor pastors, the best thing you can do is give them some ice cream. So they came together, and I'm, I'm imagining they had some peanut butter oil swirl. They, they were eating good food. They were sitting around together, and they were honoring Jesus for what he had done because they were grateful. Verse 3 says this, Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So what we see here is, uh, in, in this day and age, the lowest servant of a house, when guests would come in, the lowest servant would wash the feet of the guests because Feet were nasty. Feet are pretty nasty today, but they're even nastier back then because you wore sandals everywhere, your feet are getting messed up and dirty and gross, and you're stepping in stuff, and it was just gross. So you'd walk into a house and they'd go, hey, let's wash your feet for you. But Mary took it a step further. She didn't just wash his feet. She took this perfume and she poured it over his feet. She took something that is usually dirty, and she not only made it clean, but she actually... Um, she actually 
brought attention to the feet. She, she poured this perfume on his feet in such a way that it made the whole house smell good. It impacted the whole home. Now, this is foreshadowing to when Jesus is crucified, because when he's crucified, he's laid in this borrowed tomb, and because of the hour when he died and when they buried him, they were unable to, they were unable to uh, anoint his body for burial in the typical Jewish tradition. So there was no anointing at that time. So this is foreshadowing to the anointing that he, will, that he is going to miss out on when he's crucified. Verse 4 says this, well, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wage. What we see here is Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this perfume, and this perfume, according to, to Judas, was worth a year's wage. How many of you know that is some expensive perfume, right? Holy cow. And a year's wage is worth a lot. No matter what you make, no matter where you're at in the range, a year of income is still a year of income. And what she did is she makes this extravagant gift to Jesus. And this is something she had probably saved for, she'd probably put back for, she'd probably sacrificed for. There were times that she said, no, I'm not going to go out and eat because I'm saving for, because this represents her future. This represents uh, a future uh, hope for uh, marriage, for whatever it might be, but she's thinking about, man, this is my savings, and she pours it over the feet of Jesus, which is pretty incredible. And Judas says, why are you wasting that? We could have sold it and given it to the poor. So why did Mary do this? The simple answer is she was grateful. She recognized what she had lost, and she recognized what she had. She said, man, my brother was dead. He literally was dead, and now he's alive. There was grief and sorrow, now there's joy. There was heartache and hurt, now there's happiness. And I owe it to you. So, so Jesus, I'm going to take this sacrifice, and I'm going to pour it on your feet because you are worth it, because I understand where I was and where I'm at today. I understand what I would have lost if you hadn't showed up. She was grateful. And I'll tell you this, every extravagant gift that we ever give begins with gratitude. It begins with us being grateful and saying, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. If, if there was someone who saved your child's life, is there anything you wouldn't give them to say thank you? No, because you understand what you could have lost. And Mary, she responded this way and said, my brother was lost and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. She was grateful. Then we see Judas respond in a totally different way. He responds to her, uh, to her uh, generosity, and he's upset. And he said, we could have given it to the poor. And I will tell you, one of the things that's funny is uh, every time we've done any um, major expenditure at our church, we, we will typically have people say something like this to me. Well, you know, if we didn't do that, we could do this and give it to the poor. And... I think about this every time. Nobody's ever going to say that to me after this message. Because if you look at the next verse, it says this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas would take from the money bag. When Jesus was a traveling minister, 
and people would give toward his ministry to help support it. And when they did, Judas was like, yeah, yeah, I'll hang on to that for you. And he'd be like, man, I really need those new Jordans, man. Those are nice. I don't have any money for it. You know what? I deserve it. And he'd take some money out of the money bag. I deserve this. It's no big deal. They'll never miss it. They got plenty. He would justify it however he needed to. He'd take it, and he would go buy his Jordans, go do his thing. Now, this is what I want you to understand. When Judas sees her extravagant gift, it stirs something up in him because he's looking at what he doesn't have. He goes, I deserve that. She's given that away. If she would have sold it, we could have put it in the money bag, I would have had it. And he's looking at what he doesn't have. He's looking at his loss in that moment. And it stirs something up in him. And I want you to know something. Extravagant generosity will stir something up in us. It'll either draw us to it and say yes, or it's going to stir something up in us where we go, well, we should have given that to the poor. Well, why did they give that to them? I don't think they deserve that. Why? Because we're looking at what we don't have. Well, I deserve that. I wish I had. And what generosity does is it reveals our own hearts. So when, when you see someone in need and you give to them grudgingly, it's revealing something about your heart. It's showing you where you're really at. When somebody does well and they're successful and you are upset about it, it shows you something about where you're at. It's a, it's a revelation of our hearts. So that's what we see in this situation. Giving reveals what's really going on in our heart. Now, one of the things we've talked about as a church over the last few weeks is the fact that we're launching a location in Blairsville. And I'm excited about this. And this last week, I was in Blairsville. This is so cool. And um, Pastor Mark is the new pastor over the different churches, uh, Methodist churches in Blairsville. And I happened to run into him last week. I was in town. I was going into a store. He was walking out. And I go, Pastor Mark. He said, yeah. I said, I'm Pastor Mel from Summit Church. And his eyes lit up and his face, oh, it's so good to see you. And we talked outside this store for 20 minutes. And he said, we can't wait for you to come to Blairsville. We can't wait for you to be here. And man, we're excited. We want to partner together. We want to reach the city. Thank you so much. Let's get together. So I mean, we're getting together next week. We're going to get lunch together and just talk about what God wants to do. Now, this is the thing. I want you to understand this. That is a generous heart. Because he doesn't have to do that. He could have given me the cold shoulder. He could have been like, oh, good, good for you, good luck, and gone on. I can't believe that they're taking our people there. But that's not his heart because he's generous. He says, man, there's lost people. Let's go reach them. And I celebrate that. I'm excited about that. So he's demonstrating generosity, and God's opening up doors like that. It's so cool to see what God's doing. And we'll share some more details with you as we can. But um, God's up to some cool things in Blairsville, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, one of the things we've talked about is we don't have a location set yet. Um, we had one that we thought we were going to work with and get into, and the, the costs were going to be too high, and um, it just didn't work out. So as a result, God shifted that, and we're looking at some different options, and we've got some options we're looking at now that I'm excited about. Uh, but it's going to cost us about $250,000 for renovation, for equipment, to do everything we need to do to get in there. And some of that we're going to be able to generate just from us, just from us saving and watching our budget and, and being good stewards. But some of that we're asking people to step up and to invest in and help us do that uh, because we can't do that on our own. And Blairsville needs uh, another church like us there. Blairsville needs us 
to share the gospel. Because there are some churches that are doing a good job. But there's plenty of lost people for every church to be full. And so we want to do this. We want to get in there. And we're asking our church just to take steps of generosity forward. Just to say, hey, what could I do with what I have in my hand? What could God make possible with what I have in my hand? And that's something that's kind of a recurring theme for us. So what we're asking people to do is um, give to Summit Church. If you never have before, begin. Uh, and if you've given before, if you're a normal, regular giver, think about giving toward our kingdom builders, because everything that comes in for kingdom builders between now and the end of the year will go toward our Blairsville location. We're designating that specifically for Blairsville. Uh, so your only options when you give here at Summit are General or Blairsville right now. So we would love for you to help with that. So how do we do that? Well, um, what we're asking everybody to do is just take a step forward in their generosity. And that's why we got my handy dandy ladder today, because I want to help you with this. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted God with your finances before. I'm not asking you to start giving a percentage of your income. Uh, what I'm asking you to do is if you've never trusted God with your finances in any way, just take a step of generosity toward God. Just say, God, I'm going to trust you, begin trusting you with my finances, and become a first-time giver. Give for the very first time and just trust God and see what he'll do. Just say, God, I'm going to give something today. Give. Um, you can do that several different ways. Pastor Ricky laid that out. Uh, you can give online, you can give with one of the offering boxes, cash, check, it doesn't make any difference, but trust God with a step and see what he'll do. So become a first-time giver. Maybe you've given before, but that was it. You dropped something in the offering box and that was all. We'd love for you to take the next step. The next step is to become an occasional giver. An occasional giver is somebody who gives from time to time. Uh, they give whenever they got some money in their wallet or when, maybe whenever the message moves them or whenever they just feel God speak to them. They go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give something today. Um, and again, maybe they get on uh, our, our website. Maybe they give from their mobile device, whatever it is. But they go, yeah, I'm going to give something today. An occasional giver just gives from time to time. The next step, if you're an occasional giver, is that going to drive anybody crazy that those are... Not perfectly straight. Here, let me help you. Whew. Yeah, I just feel a little better about that now. <laughs> All my people with OCD are like, thank God he did that. <laughs> so maybe you're somebody, you, you attend church here, you love Summit, and you give occasionally. From time to time, you put something in the offering. We appreciate that, but we'd love for you to take the next step. And the next step is to become an intentional giver. Let's see if I can get this perfectly straight. It's not going to happen, but... That's close enough. An intentional giver is somebody who says, hey, I'm going to have a plan with how I'm going to be generous with what God has given me. I'm going to give a percentage. Many people at that point begin to say um, uh, a little bit here, there, whatever it might be. Maybe you say, I'm going to give every week. Every time I get paid, I'm going to give a portion of that. I'm going to give a, a certain amount every time. But you're, you've got a plan behind it. You say, here's what we will do. And you're an intentional giver. Um, this is important when we get to this step because then it's not just occasional, it's with some regularity and it's with some, some thinking behind it. Uh, the next step after an intentional giver, and again, if you're there, that's great. We would love for you to think about and pray about becoming a proportional giver. And what a proportional giver is, is somebody who says, hey, I've got a plan, there's a purpose, I know what we're going to do, and uh, I can't help it, I can't help it. There's a plan, there's a purpose, but you know what? Um, I want to give a percentage of my income to God. I want to trust him with that. In fact, what we see in scripture is uh, that God asks for 10% is what a tithe is. And it's, it's the first 10th is what a tithe means. And he asks for the first 10% of our increase. 
And if you're here today and you're like, here comes the tithe talk, I will tell you this. The tithe is what God blesses. But if you're here today and you're like, I can't, I can't give 10%. Like, we're living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, our margins are too tight. I can't afford that. And I know that's the case because I've talked to many of you about your finances, and I understand. And so if you're here today and that's you, maybe you've been an intentional giver and you want to take that next step, um, think about this. If you can't make the step to 10%, say, hey, God, I'm going to give 3% or 4 whatever the number is, pray about it, and say, here's the percentage of my income that I'm going to begin to give. And then what you, you do is you be disciplined with it to grow that, to say, hey, for the next three months, I'm going to give 3% of our income. And then in three months, we're going to up that to 4%. And then we're going to up that again. And you just begin to step that up week after week, month after month, and discipline yourself so that you can begin doing what God would like you to do. Now, this is the level that we get to that we see in Malachi chapter 3 that God says, test me in your generosity. So every place in scripture that we see God talk to us, he says, trust me, trust me, do this, but trust me, it's going to work out. And in this situation, he says, test me, oh, test me, you don't have to trust me in this, just do it and it's going to work out is what God says. And so when we test God with our finances, we can see that we can trust God with our finances. And so God says, I'm, I'm not afraid. You test me and see what will happen. Uh, when we give a percentage, it's not about equal giving, but it's about equal sacrifice. It's about us saying, I'm going to do my part no matter what that may be. One of the things that I, I want you to hear is uh, this might seem sacrificial, and it is sacrificial to give a percentage of our income. But we're never, ever, ever going to change the world with spare time and spared money. It's always going to take sacrifice if we want to see the world changed for the glory of God. And one of the problems is so many churches in the Western world, uh, we're trying to change the world with spare time and spare money. And as a result, we're barely keeping our doors open. But what we see is when we give generously and sacrificially, God blesses and God does amazing things. And I think that's one of the reasons God is blessing us is because we've got people who understand sacrificial giving. And if, I'll be, if we can be honest, as a church, we understand that as well. Um, we give significantly to other churches and ministries and causes and things in our community all around us. We bless uh, pretty extravagantly other people and other things. So we get it as a church, and I don't mind asking you because that's what we do. The next step and the last step, maybe you are a proportional giver. Maybe you are tithing. That's great. Um, and I got bad news for you. If you think the tithe is the end-all, be-all, in Scripture, what we actually see in the New Testament, a tithe is actually closer to 23% of your income if you put it all together. And we're not asking you for 23% of your income. But what we are saying is uh, when we learn how to live generously and we learn how fun it is to live generously, 10% uh, is a starting point for you. And that might scare some of you. But honestly, there's people here, they don't care about 10%. They blew by 10% a long time ago. And those are the most joyful people you'll ever meet in your entire life because they just love to give. And that's when you get to the extravagant portion. That's when you, you say, hey, I want to give an extravagant gift. I want to do something that's above and beyond. I want to do something that's crazy. And let's be honest, don't we all want to be able to bless people in an extravagant way? Do things that knock their socks off? I've been around people before that, they would go to the mall during, this is back when malls actually were a thing. So they would go to the mall 
around the time that kids were going back to school and they would literally, they would go into a shoe store like Foot Locker and they would see a family that you knew probably didn't have the money to buy some you know, high-end shoes and they would give the clerk the credit card and say, hey, tell that family whatever pair of shoes that kid wants, it's gonna be paid for. And they'd walk out and they'd come back later and sign and take care of it. That's awesome. I've been around people who uh, would see kids in their youth group that, that, that were called to ministry that they knew couldn't afford to go to a Bible college and they would say, hey, tell the youth pastor, hey, I'm gonna take care of their college for them. Wouldn't that be awesome? To say, I'm gonna pay for four years of college for this person? That doesn't happen magically because we desire it because we cross our fingers and hope it'll work out. It happens because we're disciplined. It happens because we take little steps along the way to help us to get to where God wants us to be. Uh, it, it happens because we trust God with our finances. And what I want you to hear is this. We pay trainers to help us get healthy. And if, if you walked in with your trainer and you said, okay, I want to get healthy. What do I need to do? Well, I hear you really like the meadows. And you're like, that's right. I do. What of it? Well, you got to stop going. And you're like, well, I'm going to have to cut you if you make me stop going to the meadows, right? <laughs> so that's not going to happen. So just mark that off your list. I'm still going to the meadows, okay? Well, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should cut back on the red meat. Nope, not going to happen that either. Uh, I had a, a steak sandwich before I came over here today. And when I say steak sandwich, I had a piece of steak with a piece of steak for the bread and a piece of steak underneath for the bread. That was my steak sandwich. So that's not going to happen either. Okay, well, you need to at least start exercising. You're like, I'm pretty locked into my regimen right now where I don't exercise. So I uh, can't help you with that either. I want to be healthy but I don't want to do anything that you're prescribing for me. So how, how does this work? They'd say, well, I can't help you, right? And, and many people say, hey, I want to be healthy. Spiritually, I want to grow in my relationship with God. What does that look like? Well, here's what you do. You live sacrificially. You live generously. You bless others. You put Jesus first. You, you prioritize connecting with a small group, with the body of Christ, godly community, and people go, oh, that's hard. Yeah, it's not easy. Well, do you have anything easier? Man, growth track, that's hard. Four weeks in a row? Yeah, that's right. It's hard. What do you want? Do you, do you want to be healthy? Do you want to grow in your relationship with Christ? Or, or do you want to have a spiritual heart condition? Because that's what happens for us so many times. And so what I want you to hear is this. This is a spiritual regimen that we're trying to challenge you guys to walk in, this, a training regimen. So giving is part of our spiritual health because giving impacts every area of our life. What we see in the New Testament, the church in Jerusalem was the original church, and it started all these other churches. And at some point, the church in Jerusalem began to suffer. And the other churches said, hey, we're going to help that church. We're going we're gonna to give them money. We're going to finance them to help them with their needs. And the Corinthian church was a wealthy church. It was the center of commerce and trade. And they had said, yes, we're going to help them. But they didn't. And so Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he calls them out. And this is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking about the, the Philippian church. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, I want you to hear what he said. Their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That doesn't even make sense. Have the words joy and poverty ever been used in the same sentence before, ever? I know when I've been struggling financially in my past, when I 
young married couple and we were having issues, I never said, man, I've got so much joy in our poverty, <laughs> right? Man, our car's broken down and I can't fix it. Thank you, Jesus, you're so good. That wasn't me. And if we're going to be honest, most of us don't function that way either. But what, G, uh, what Paul's pointing out to the Corinthian church is, man, the Philippians, they're dirt poor, and they still have joy. And because they have joy, because they recognize what Jesus has done in their lives, and even though they're extremely impoverished, they still could give generously. He says in verse 3, for I testify that they have as much as they were, uh, they gave as much as they were able, so they gave to their limit, listen to this, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were, they were begging their pastors to give more to the other church. How incredible is that? goes on to say in verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. That's what he says. He says their heart was dedicated to God. Their heart was, was all into God. And they said, God, we're going to live open-handedly. Everything we have is yours, God. So even though we don't have very much, we're not going to keep it for ourselves if there's somebody who's in need. We're going to give everything we've got because we're going to live open-handedly. Now again, this is not about their money. What Paul recognizes is it's about their heart. He marvels at their heart, even though their circumstances were poor, even though they were under severe trials. He says they still recognize that they have a responsibility to bless others because they've been blessed so immensely. The amount of money in your bank account will not change the amount of generosity in your heart. Because some of us think, man, if I hit the lotto, if I hit the Powerball, I heard a guy yesterday, I was over at Sheets, and, uh, and he was getting a bunch of Powerball tickets. And you could hear the anticipation in his voice, like, like, yeah, I'm quitting my job if I hit the Powerball. Like, he is, he's putting his hope in the Powerball. Like, here it comes. And I know some of us have had these dreams that, man, if I hit the Powerball, I'd do this and this and this and this and this. And, man, I'd give a bunch of money to the church. I'd do all these things. And, by the way, if you hit the Powerball, we will cash that check, okay? I promise. We're not going to turn it down because it came from the Powerball. We're going we're gonna to use it for the kingdom of God, I promise. But... This is the thing. If you're not generous before you hit the Powerball, you're not going to be generous after you hit the Powerball. The amount of generosity in your heart does not change because you've got more or less money in your account. Your generosity is based on your heart. And we see that over and over and over throughout Scripture. Mark chapter 12 says this. Talking about Jesus at church. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. By the way, you'll never catch me watching you put your money in the offering box, so you're welcome. Uh, many rich people, I'm just calling you out. I'm like, no, 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 you get back here. We're not, we're not letting you out the door till you, you don't have to pay to get in, you got to pay to get out. It says many rich people put in large sums. So again, Jesus sees this. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this, this poor widow has put more than all those who are continuing, or contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So what he says is, all these rich people are tipping they're putting in an amount that doesn't even impact them. There's no sacrifice at all for them. 
It's easy for them. But he says, this woman has put in the last of her money. Out of her poverty, she's given. Her heart is right. That's where the blessing lies, because her heart is right before God. And he said, it's not about the dollar amount. Sometimes we get enthralled with the dollar amount. Well, it's got to be big. It's got to be whatever it is. You know what? God's not impressed. He's not impressed by uh, you writing a big check. What he's impressed by is your heart. Um, so what, he sees, what we see here is Jesus marvels at this woman. Not because she gives a ton. Not because she's the biggest giver in the church. Not because she drives the nicest car. He's not impressed with that. He's impressed with her sacrifice. He's impressed with her heart. Luke chapter 16 verse 10 says this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. What we see here is the principle we see in our everyday lives. If, if I can't handle a little bit of responsibility, I'm not going to be able to handle a lot of responsibility. What I do with the little things will tell you what I'm going to do with the big things. If I'm going to be selfish with a little, I'm going to be selfish with a lot. If I'm going to be generous with a little, I'm going to be generous with a lot. And some of us are praying for God to bless us financially, and God's not going to do it, not because he's trying to punish us, but because he's a good father. And he knows if he gives us too much and we can't handle it, it will ruin us. If you've got a child who doesn't know how to handle money, um, what do you do? If, you had a, if you're wealthy, you put it in a trust, and you go, I'm not giving you this money when you're 18. Because it'll mess up your life. You're going to blow through it. You'll be addicted to drugs. You're going to, you're going to lose it. You're going to be in trouble. So I want to protect you by not giving you what you want. And some of us think, man, God, if you just bless me financially, my life will be better. And God says, I can't. I can't do it because it will ruin your life. So be faithful with a little. Trust God with a little and see what God will do. John Rockefeller. Uh, one of the wealthiest men, definitely the wealthiest man of his day and age, but really of, of modern history, uh, one of the wealthiest men. At his peak, John D. Rockefeller was worth, by modern day standards, over $318 billion. So to put it in perspective, I, the last time I looked, I think Bill Gates was the wealthiest today at around $100 billion he's worth, which still, $100 billion is a lot of money, right? More than we can even fathom. But John D. Rockefeller could buy and sell Bill Gates three times over. That's how wealthy he was. $318 billion. This is what he said. He said, I never would have been able to tithe the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed my very first salary, which was $1.50 per week. He said, how in the world was I going to tithe off a million if I couldn't tithe off $1.50? That 15 cents that he gave doesn't sound like very much, but when you're making $1.50 a week, that's a lot of money. And he said, I was faithful with the little things. I was faithful at the $1.50, and then when I was making a million, I could joyfully give off that. In fact, what we see, according to history, is um, John D. Rockefeller and his biggest rival at the time was Andrew Carnegie, and they get into a competition to see who could build the biggest fortune, the biggest empires, and they're competing with each other neck and neck, and uh, each of them growing, 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 and at some point, they take this turn, and they decide, um, hey, we're not going to see who can grow the biggest empire, we're going to see who can give the most away. What a great competition that was. By most estimates, John D. Rockefeller, by the time he died, gave away 95% of his wealth. Gave it away. Because he realized it doesn't matter how much I've got. 
That, that doesn't make any difference how much is in my account. What matters is the legacy I leave. The matter, what matters is what I can make possible. All of us want to give extravagantly. All of us want to be generous, but it begins with little choices. It begins with taking little steps. And there's a family in our church that a few years ago, they really began this generosity journey, trusting God. I'd given them a copy of The Blessed Life, and they read The Blessed Life, and it really impacted them personally. And uh, they began to get some things in order, and it's cool to see what God's doing in their lives. And uh, last year, <clears throat> they came and talked to me about a situation they were going through, and uh, something that God was speaking to them to do, to give, <clears throat> and they decided to give an extravagant gift. And I want to show you a video of their story. So take a look at Kim's story. So last fall, I was at home alone watching TV and I saw a UPMC commercial that was about transplant. And instantly I thought, I need to look into this. And so I went over to the computer and I started Googling and <clears throat> I thought I ran into a roadblock. It said that you could only donate to a family member or friend. So then I emailed right away and then I waited a couple of days to hear back and they said, no, you can donate to anybody. And I thought, okay, God, if I'm not supposed to do this, then I'll fail a test or, it, you know, it just, it'll come through the testing. And I went in June, had the testing done, and a week later, I got my acceptance letter. Then my surgery was scheduled for October 15th, and so now I'm anxiously awaiting the 15th to come, and I feel peace about it because I truly believe that it's what God wants me to do. And I can help save a life or be a miracle in some and he's given me a verse through this whole journey. Luke 5, 5, it says, because you say, I feel. When I started on this journey, I bought this journal that says, brave, strong, fearless. You know, those are perfect words for, for what I'm going through. Um, so I started writing down some quotes. Um, you are stronger than you know, braver than you think, and more loved by God. You can imagine. Everywhere I go, he, he's assuring me that this is what I should do. Whether it be through a song, through scripture, a billboard going down the street. He's also provided um, financially. Um, I have the time off at work that will cover all of my time off. I um, received a financial grant, so all of our travel expenses and hotel are paid for. God has really shown us and provided for us through this whole journey. So since my surgery on October 15th, I have received so many blessings, so numerous, I can't even begin to rattle off. But the biggest of those blessings was meeting my recipient, Miranda. Um, she was put on the donor list uh, 23 years ago at age 10 um, and she received word a day after her 33rd birthday that we were a match. God has a plan and purpose for everyone. He had this in mind before I was even created. Um, everything happens in God's time and 
if we're obedient to what God asks of us, we are blessed beyond measure. I guess in my mind the whole time was that I was helping an individual. But then co-workers and family would talk to me and say, you're helping more than just the individual. You're making a difference in their family. And if she is able to have kids, now it goes on into another generation. It's pretty cool. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> I love this story. Um, and we had to coerce them into letting us share it because they didn't want people to know. But I just said, your story's really important for people to hear. Because uh, the Schloters are not the wealthiest people in the world. But they are generous. You have to be to literally give a portion of your liver to someone. This is how God works. This is so cool. When they went in, they realized that Kim has an abnormally large liver. It's normal than, it's bigger than most normal people. And so because of that, they took half of her liver and they were still able to give her, give the recipient a bigger half liver than this lady's whole liver. Does that make sense? So the, the liver that was being replaced was smaller than this half liver she was getting. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think it just worked out like that? Or do you think maybe God had a plan? Maybe God was saying, I'm going to set you up to be an extravagant gift to someone else. But if, if you don't grow in your generosity, you're never going to get to the place where you see a commercial for transplants and go, that's me. Because most of us wouldn't do that. Because most of us have not grown our generosity to the point where we would say, yes, Lord, that's me. Yes, Lord, I could be the answer to somebody else's prayer. I, I could be the response. I could be the one to help. And so my challenge today is really simple. Will you... Will you begin to grow in your generosity? Will you begin to take a step? Because we all want to be an extravagant blessing to someone, but it begins with us being faithful to what we have. One of the questions we ask a lot, and this is the question I mentioned earlier, what can God make possible with what I have in my hand? God doesn't need you to be wealthy. He just needs you to be faithful. God doesn't need you to have nine figures in your bank account to use you. God can use you no matter who you are if you'll simply be faithful and available and say, God, everything I have is yours. Not just my money, but maybe it's my liver. Maybe it's my life. Maybe, God, you want me to quit my job and move overseas and start a ministry. Whatever it is, God, everything in my life is yours. I am available and I'm yours. Would you take a step of generosity toward God? Would you trust him in that way? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, one of the most important things you can give is not your money, but it's your heart to Christ. You can surrender that to him today, and we want to give you that opportunity. So why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your extravagant gift that you gave to us, your son Jesus. Because of that gift, we can experience eternal life today. We can know you. So God, I thank you for that. Thank you that you've held nothing back from us that you've given us the most extravagant gift we could ever imagine. I pray that our hearts would be grateful for that. We would thank you for that. And I pray that we would respond in kind with generous hearts. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you, they've never surrendered their lives to you, given you their heart, let today be the day that they give you all. So God, I pray that you have your way among us. Speak into this place. Let your Holy Spirit guide us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw those who aren't in relationship with you. Let today be the day. They see how good you are, that you are a good father, that you love us, and you're for us. 
and you want to bless us. So God, help our hearts to be open to you. Help us to respond to you. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just want to ask, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never made him Lord, or today's the day that you recognize you're not really walking in relationship with him, he doesn't have your heart, but you want to make that so, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? I'll acknowledge you. You can put your hand right back down. If you say, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the back. Who else would say, Mel, that's me. Pray for me. Today's my day. I recognize what Christ has done for me, and I want to give him my heart today. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this really simple prayer with me. Repeat this with me out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your only son to pay the price for my sins. From this day forward, my life is yours. I forfeit it to you and ask you to use it for your glory. Whatever you ask me to do, Wherever you ask me to go, I will do it for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. <laughs> Scripture tells us that if even one comes to saving knowledge of Jesus, that there's a party in heaven. And we are partying. We're excited about the decision that's been made today. And uh, we're so grateful for that. And if any of you made that decision, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to know, Scripture tells us that your new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. So we're excited for what God's got for you. If you would, take just a moment and fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says need uh, salvation. Fill out the side of the card that says salvation. And take it over to our information center in the lobby. They're going to give you a free gift. It's a Bible. It's going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. We're going to help you take the next step. We'll help you get connected to a life-giving church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us today online. Here's what's going to happen right now. I want to pray a final prayer over you. And while I'm praying, our prayer team's going to come up and they're going to be standing here in the front of this room when I finish. And they're going to be here to pray with you and agree with you no matter what your need is. And if you would like prayer as we dismiss, come forward and find one of them. Let them agree with you. If you just like to stick around and pray a little bit, feel free. You can stay in your seat. You can kneel there. Come forward, whatever you'd like to do. And if you feel like God has finished with you when I finish praying in just a moment, feel free to be dismissed. But please do so reverently so you don't disrupt what God is doing here at the front of the room. So let me pray over you before we're dismissed today. God, thank you so much for every person in this place. Thank you that you gave your son for them, that they had enough value that you gave your son. You paid a high price for them. Lord, I pray as we walk out of this room today, we would recognize how you value us, how you see us. And I pray that that, that would shift how we see ourselves because we are loved by you, God. Let that impact how we go to work tomorrow, how we impact our friends and our neighbors and the people we go to school with. God, I pray that we would carry your spirit and carry your glory with us everywhere we go. And I pray that people would marvel at, not us, but at you. So God, let us be vessels of your glory and your goodness as we leave this place today. And it's in your name we pray, amen. God bless you. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. Have a wonderful day.